This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. I would say myself, I grew up here in the in the Congo. I lived through what we usually call the time of wars in the Congo, uh, starting from the time when we had the genocide in Rwanda. So that's when we started having wars here in the Congo. So 1994, 1996, mm. uh, until 2005, 2006, we were living through the war here. For, so for me, this, these were very important years in my life because uh, I was born in 1981. So 1994, I am uh, 13. So it means that these days I am being uh, shaped by a lot of things happening in my experience as a teenager, as a young man. So during that time, we experienced uh, uprisings by some uh, people who thought they were going to to offer freedom to the people. So. These, these wars were characterized by mostly, uh, as you would expect, extensive violence, where pe- you could see people being killed in your presence. So for me, that experience is uh, determinative uh, in what, whatever I do, whether I study or do anything, I almost always start with that experience of mm-hmm. the war. And so as I, uh, I went to school, I went to the United States, I researched more about the war. And this time I heard even about the stories I never heard of before. Uh, I think stories with more violence than I had myself experienced. So until now, I think we... Things have improved a little bit uh, on the political side. And yet uh, a lot of people are still living with those scars, especially in the eastern part of the country. You find a lot of destroyed families, uh, destroyed lives of individuals. So this is how I can uh, describe the general uh, context in which we are working now, where I work as a a Catholic priest and as a a university professor. So I think this is, uh, in a summary, what I can say about our context here in the Congo. Do people in the Congo today, if I were to visit the Congo today, do people think of these wars, the atrocities, the the violence uh, as kind of stuck in the society still today? Or do they think that this is stuff that happened a long time ago? You know, this is in the past. We're moving on, you know, as Americans like to say, just move on with your lives. Uh, Or do they see it really as like 
endemic uh, to the culture? It depends on where you find yourself. And also, it depends on the age of the person. Uh, people like us who grew up during those mm. days, I don't believe the war will go uh, away def- uh, uh, for good. I, I'm always expecting it to come back. And my experience with people who had bigger scars than, uh, than me, myself, I think mm. they still believe uh, the people who killed their family members, the people who uh, destroyed their lives, they are still around. Even when they see that some of those people were put to jail, some were killed, but it is still difficult for them to believe it's gone. So mm. a lot of things people do are somehow shaped by that experience. They act uh, often mm. uh, making reference to what they lived through during the wars. So I think we see that uh, in some places in the country, the war has ended. In other places, it is going on because we have militias uh, everywhere, especially in the eastern part of the country. Uh, I think you were in Kenya. So uh, the parts that are uh, Hmm. near Rwanda, uh, Uganda, Tanzania, those places are uh, still very difficult. We have militia in many villages, and almost every day you would hear that they killed two people, 10 people, uh, 100 people. So it is difficult in the Congo in general to believe the war has ended or even to think we are in a, in a very secure situation. I think most people are still living in that insecurity. So that the the war has created this kind of general anxiety, um, and and I think it's very extremely difficult for someone from the West um, to understand, especially from America, where we had no internal wars in the last 150 years, 170 years. It's very difficult for us to understand what it would be like to live side by side with the families of people. Uh, who may have committed crimes against us or may have done some of the worst things humans do to other humans. Um, can you help us to even imagine how how this works? How do people live in the same context with one another where these things have happened? You know, it, this is a, a, very, uh, a, a very difficult situation. Thank you for the question because you see, there are places where uh, people live with, those who killed their family members and they have equal share of power or even the people who were the, uh, oppressed before are now in positions of power. But in Congo, the situation is very different. So those people who were rebels, who had militia, who had armed groups, some of them now are in the uh, government, some of them are ministers, some of them are governors, 
so you basically think the world the world is in the hands of a wicked people because the same mm. people who killed your uncle, your mother, your father yesterday, today he has power. He is called elected official. Uh, that, uh, that's how they call some of them. So you basically think, where is justice? So I know many people, especially in east, in the eastern part of the country, where you find people crying because they see so and so in a position of power. So they think they can come back and do the same to them. So in Congo, the situation is not that the, the, the former oppressors uh, have now lost some power. I think what we called the end of the war was uh, mm. a, a situation of negotiation between the people who were uh, fighting between each other. So now they decided to share power. So sharing power does not help the, the former victims or the families of the victims. It simply uh, stops the fighting between uh, the two enemies. But then those who were the innocent who were suffering, they have nothing. Uh, they only fear that there will be more violence because now uh, they have the people who are who who killed their family members now have, I would say, an authorization to use violence against uh, whoever they want. I think this is how people live in Congo. Uh, forgiveness. I don't think many are still ready for that. Uh, I haven't gone through many places. <laughs> Sincerely, many people don't think about forgiveness because they want justice against the people who did uh, evil things against their family members. So I think this is where we are now. My experience when I met uh, some colleagues or teachers in the United States, uh, we like speaking about reconciliation, uh, forgiveness. And my experience here is that the word reconciliation, forgiveness, in many places, in uh, a lot of families, people are not ready for that. They still want justice because they see the same people who were called rebels yesterday, they have power. Uh, they become, some of them are even, are even uh, ministers of justice. Mm. So how uh, are they going to enact justice if yesterday uh, it was uh, they who killed the people? So I, I think in Congo we are in a very uh, complex situation. Mm. That's, uh, that's how I can put it. And you, you're a Catholic priest. Uh, you work in the Congo. You teach in the Congo. You have your PhD from uh, Duke University in the United States, which I want to come back to your experiences in the U.S. in a moment. But um, how do you think about forgiveness alongside people who've suffered so greatly and people who've suffered under the hands of illegitimate terrorizing uh, that has become 
legitimated governors? So, yes, I think uh, as a Catholic priest and as a biblical scholar, I, I think we, we will need to revise the way we teach or we, we speak about forgiveness, especially in a place like this, where uh, forgiveness does not necessarily require that the person who did something wrong uh, pays, pay you back or does something to repay. I think, so here you look at what happens, uh, especially in the, in the prophets. You see, often with God, the people have sinned. They have done a lot of bad things. Is it rare for God to say, well, now you deserve it. You deserve forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you. Often it is unexpected. When you think God is going to uh, destroy more, he's going to, uh, to, to end the, the nation. And he said, well, I'm going to forgive them. You look at the book of Hosea. You would say, well, these people have not done enough in the terms of uh, repentance or the returning back to God. But then you see God saying, well, I'm going to forgive you because I am God. I think for me, this is a, a good image for the people to, to realize that the people we need to forgive are not necessarily those who deserve it. Because God does not do that always with us. Uh, God's forgiveness is, is before even our sins. He accepts that he can forgive us. And then sometimes, even when we don't ask for it, he does. God uh, forgives us. So I think here in the Congo, we need to, to look at forgiveness as not uh, a reward for somebody who did something good, but forgiveness as a decision the, pers the person who forgives uh, makes in order to free himself from uh, the grudges, from the, the pain of caring around the, uh, a, 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 an ugly past. However, we cannot make it this easy. We cannot simply say, uh, please forgive them. Please uh, let them go uh, along. But I think we need to be realistic about what is happening and to show people that uh, holding on to the past that is evil is not helping the community. It is simply... Uh, helping the people who wounded you to keep you more in the wounds. Uh, I know you have not asked me about the the book uh, that I wrote, but I, I would like to, to dive into it. You see, in my book, I I speak about the book of uh, Nahum. So in Nahum, I believe there is 
there is uh, an effort for the prophet to help the community heal from those wounds. So the Assyrians who destroyed the cities, Lachish and other cities, they will not come to ask for forgiveness, but they will come. So what the community in Judah can do is to deal with that past, to remember it, to see what happened to them, how ugly the destruction was. Then they can move from there, say, this cannot define us. This is not our community. Our community is better than this. So what can we do as a community? What a strategy can we do? If the, the, some individuals in our communities were wounded because of the evil coming from our brothers and sisters, I think as a Catholic priest, as a biblical scholar, what I want to show the people is that we need to rebuild our communities with the people who are there. Show those who are wounded that what it means to be human is not what those people did, even though they have power today, but what it means to be human is that we who live with you, we who walk, walk with you, we who are with you in our communities, we are showing you what it means to be brothers and sisters. I think this is uh, the path I would take with the, the, the communities that are wounded here. So words about forgiveness, uh, if we define it as uh, letting go of what happened in the past, Yes, but I think we should focus more on building the community, showing a different way of being human rather than uh, simply keeping the grudges against the people who are in power. They, they will be there. They will continue doing the evil, but they cannot paralyze our communities. So... That's what I would say as a Catholic priest and as a biblical scholar. Um, showing them a, a different way of being human, I think it's a very powerful way to put it, um, that makes clear exactly what has to happen in all Christian communities. Um, so that that preaches good. <laughs> the uh, the book you're referring to, I want everybody to know, the book is by Jacob Onyumbe Wenye. Um Piles of slain, heaps of course, corpses, reading prophetic poetry and violence in the African context. Uh, this is the book we're referring to, uh, where he uh, details his interviews with many atrocity survivors in those wars in the Congo and puts them in conversation with the book of Nahum or Nahum. Um, and some of the puzzling parts of, of Nahum for a lot of biblical scholars is why so much graphic violence? And I wonder, Jacob. Um, when you lived in the United States, uh, if you noticed how, I hate to use the word obsessed, but how obsessed Westerners can be with the violence in scripture and how perplexed and how how much they often want to explain away the violence in scripture. Uh, did you find that to be true in, in your discussions here? Yeah, sure. And uh, I alluded to that. Uh, in the United States, as you said in the beginning, there are some people who have not had a direct 
interaction with uh, violence, the way you find it depicted in the book of Nahum. So not only in Nahum, but you find even in the book of uh, Ezekiel and the, the book of Judges, many other books of the, the, of the Bible, Old and the New Testament, not only in the Old, but also in the New Testament. Uh, the depiction of violence, people, uh, biblical scholars can make a living of speaking about that, uh, showing how uh, this is bad, this is unbecoming of God. Uh, good prophets should not speak about this. This is repulsive. We cannot accept this. This is not a good, a good text. This, is, uh, uh, this text is uh, about tyranny. And I understand that. When you look at the way uh, some texts uh, depict violence in the Bible, uh, it can scare you, especially if you have never seen what the real violence is. But uh, here in Congo, it does not mean we, we don't uh, take it seriously the way people are uh, repulsed by the violence in the biblical text. But sometimes mm. we look at uh, a book like where you find God is taking vengeance, uh, like in the book of uh, Isaiah. And you say, this is good. Like people who have lived through violence, they say, yeah, we know the victims of violence. They suffer a lot. And sometimes you want God to be more violent than the oppressor. But in the United States, you also have uh, a good system of justice. I know you may not believe that, but I tell you, you have a really good uh, mm. justice system where uh, you can take a, a, an oppressor and bring him to justice, and then uh, a solution will be found. Here in Congo, uh, you are on your own. So sometimes you need somebody who can... Uh, who can take down uh, a bully. So it's like uh, here in Congo, when I, I was growing up, we go to school, uh, you come back from school, many people would walk long distances to get to the families. Mm -hmm. And this is happening even today, because a few months ago, I saw a group of kids fighting on the road. So you always had in groups of children you had bullies. So those bullies, the solution to a bully was to find a stronger bully who would take him down. So sometimes this is how people uh, view God when they see God acting very violently. So sometimes uh, in Congo, people say, this is good. But I think it's, it's uh, helpful. It's helpful when... We look at those uh, so-called violent texts and say, well, it's good if God is doing it because uh, it means it's no longer my responsibility to use that violence. In the United States, what I just said is bad because it means if God is violent, then I don't need to believe in him. But uh, sincerely, in Congo, I don't think people are very shocked to see that God can sometimes be violent, especially when he has to correct people. 
to take down the bullies. Uh, many Christians, they simply say this is good because this is a strong God who can stop the, the oppressor from uh, doing the evil. Because you look at the biblical text, it is rare that somebody who did nothing, they would, uh, God would take him down. Often God uh, uses violence as a reaction. I know places where it is inexplicable, but often this is what happens. So in Congo, we don't have a strong reaction, as strong as you find in the United States, where you have, uh, you have books about uh, uh, texts uh, that you cannot use, the texts that, uh, that are not good for the people, uh, texts of terrors, uh, as uh, I, I see a book here that, uh, uh, from the United States. So I think that's where the difference is. It's uh, based on our own experiences. In the United States, probably you don't need that image of God because you have a justice system where mm. you can put uh, people in jail and they will pay for the, uh, the evil. But here, uh, you're on your own. You simply wait that God may do something to, to end the violence. So I think that's, that would explain why here people like not uh, us uh, tolerate that image of God. Dr. Jacob Onyumbe Wenyi, thank you for your scholarship and thank you for your wisdom. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.